Good morning. It is a privilege to be back with you uh, to speak to you again this morning. And uh, thank you for having Mark here with us. I bring you uh, greetings from, uh, from my wife. And uh, it's just good to see you again. Let's take our Bibles and let's turn, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, I was rereading this the context, the preceding chapters of, of this last night, and I realized that there's no good starting point. But here is where we start. I wish we could get all the context around it, but we're not going to do that. We're going to get what we can, and we're going to read this whole passage here, verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to hone in on verses 7 through 10. But let's, let's look now. The Apostle Paul writes, I must go on boasting... There is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. And he heard, heard things that cannot be told, uh, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I, I, wish to, I, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except in my weaknesses. Though if I wish should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassingly great greatness of these revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, he, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Father, we come before you again. We thank you, God, for your word. Father, as we... Delve into it now. We ask that your Holy Spirit would superintend, that you would help us to understand, Lord, help us to comply, help us, Lord, to apply uh, your word to our lives. Lord, we pray that you will be glorified in us, and we commit this time to you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. How many of you like to travel? Not that we get the chance to do it much these days, but how many of you like to travel? How would you like to time travel? Thought about it? 
Let's, in your imagination, go back with me a little bit. Let's go back to about the 1500s. And you're at St. Peter's, and you're there in the Sistine Chapel. You're the only one in there except for one other person. And you're just watching. And you're, you're, you're just standing there sipping your 7-Up. And you're watching Michelangelo. And Michelangelo is painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Do you know how long it took him to do that? Four years. It was 5,000 square feet or so. They say, some say that during that time that he locked his assistants out of the room. And uh, that he did so much of the work on the scaffold, on his back. Some say he slept in his clothes. All the while, Pope Julius II was cracking the whip. He had to get the job done. So you're just standing there and you're watching, sipping your 7-Up. And then you hear the jingling of harness. And old Michelangelo is unbuckling himself. He's coming down the scaffolding. Turns around. Slowly he walks to you. He says, I feel awful. I've got a headache. I've got to get to sleep. Uh, but I need to keep going on. I just can't do it right now. Here, will you stand in for me? How would you feel if you had been given a job like that? How would you react? What if that fantasy was a reality? Would you feel sufficient for the task? And yet, we have been given an assignment, a task, a commission that is so much greater than this. We have been given the greatest assignment that man can actually have. Well, what in the world am I talking about? Well, Luke, I think, summed it up in Acts chapter 1. And when he talked to his friend, he says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, the operative word here is began. All that Jesus began to do and to teach. Though the Lord Jesus had already defeated death, He had bought salvation for His people with His own life. He had crushed His enemy and ushered in the kingdom of God. The work and the doing and the teaching of the kingdom had only begun. Now, if the work and the doing and the teaching of the kingdom was not finished, and Christ by His own design left it that way, who in the world is to finish it? Right. You know, the Lord Jesus told His followers, and therefore us, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. <clears throat> and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, this unfinished work that the Creator of the universe... The Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and last, the, the, the ruler and the Lord of all, this unfinished work has been left for you and me to do. His unfinished work of making disciples and building the church. And you see, one much greater than Michelangelo 
has stuck the brush into your hand and said paint. How do you feel for the job? Are you up to the task? You know, you look around and you see all these other Christians. Uh, they, they seem to be pretty talented and gifted, but I know who I am. How, how prepared are you for this task? How competent do you feel for this mission that's been given to us? You know, many, years, many, many years ago, uh, I played basketball. Now, I wasn't very good. I played on our high school team, and I was third string. Now, the reason I was third string was we didn't have enough people for me to be fourth string. And we loved being on the team, the rest of us rejects. We loved it because we got to leave on the bus. We got to be with the superstars, you know. We got to go through warm-ups and doing all sorts of things uh, during the layup drills and impressing our friends and astounding our enemies. But we didn't want to go into the game. Uh-uh, no way. Don't put us in, coach. And sure enough, the last 30 seconds of the game, if we were so far behind that we could never catch up, or so far ahead that we could never lose, the coach would look down the bench, and we were against the wall. <laughs> and he would just say, the wrecking crew. And we go into the game. That last 30 minutes of the game lasted a long, long time. There were a lot of timeouts. There were a lot of fouls. It was very exciting. But nevertheless, we didn't accomplish a whole lot there. Great entertainment. How do you feel for this business of the Great Commission? Do you ever feel like if God has us ranked in order that you're going to be at least third string? Do you ever feel like God's wrecking crew when it comes to, to, to this business of making disciples? Oh, there, there's, you know, all different ways we could feel about this. I'm, 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 I'm too old. I'm too young. Too small. Too big. Not pretty enough. Or maybe it's just that you've got problems that just you feel they hamper you from being the disciple, the disciple maker, the evangelist, the, the, the Christian that you want, that God wants you to be. You know, if you feel that way, you're actually in a good place. And if you feel that way, I want to share some thoughts with you this morning that I think will encourage you. Now, remember the Scripture that we've read this morning. But if you don't remember anything else that I say, I want you to take home this. If you think you're green, you'll grow. But if you think you're ripe, you'll rot. You got that? If you think you're green, you'll grow. But if you think you're ripe, you'll rot. Now, let's get into our Scripture here. Um, we've read 1 through 10. Now, bear in mind that Paul was a man that had a lot of problems. And one of the problems was that he, being used by God to help shape the theology, the principles, and the practices of the early church, constantly had to reassert his apostleship in the midst of jealous contenders and Judaizers and people that just wanted to take away from his ministry. And he had to reassert who he was before them. Now, God helped him out there because of his particular God-given experiences 
um, he had asserting his credentials was no problem. God had granted to Paul a very high degree of personal revelation. Most people believe, most of the people that study these scriptures recognize that the man that he was speaking of, that he wouldn't boast of, was actually him. That was him who was given, who was, that was he who was given all that great revelation. Now, think about it for just a moment. That was great to help him assert his apostleship. Let me ask you this. If God had granted to you that kind of revelation, taking you up into the third heaven, let you hear things that man's not even permitted to speak, <clears throat> if God had given you that, that's pretty special, isn't it? Do you think that perhaps you might have had a, a, a bit of a tendency maybe to feel just a little bit proud? Do you think Paul was any different than you? And for that reason, along with these surpassingly great revelations, God also gave Paul a thorn in the flesh. Something to reassure him of his commonness so that he wouldn't be proud. With that in mind, let's consider verse 7 here. You know, along with Paul's privilege, Paul also got a problem. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. What was that thorn? You know, there's various ideas out there floating about. Uh, headaches, maybe. Uh, some people think it might have been people like Hymenaeus and Alexander that caused him problem. Um, poor eyesight, maybe. Perhaps, according to Calvin, it was just the different troubles and trials that he had to deal with and was always subject to. Maybe it was his concern for the churches. We don't know for sure. There's all kinds of theories out there, and the experts say different things. The beauty of it is that when the experts disagree, the ignorant get a chance to choose. What's your favorite theory? I've got mine. <clears throat> Bottom line is... We don't know specifically what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Why? Let's think about it for just a minute. Let's say it was his eyesight. Man, I, I, I can identify with that. I need an eye dog to get out of the pulpit now. Uh, I can identify if the problem was his eyesight. But those of you out there with 2020 might not be able to identify it with that. You see, God, by His own design, who always does all things well, kept that generic enough so that we can all identify with this, this thorn in the flesh. We don't know for sure what that thorn in the flesh was, but we know that somehow it limited, it restricted, it annoyed, or possibly even physically hurt Paul. And yet... It kept Paul from pride. Very important. It's very important to keep Paul green. Why? Because if you think you're green, you'll grow. But if you think you're right, you'll rot. It's important to remember, though, concerning that thorn, that it was given by an all-knowing 
all-loving God. Now let's think here for just a minute. Let's think about ourselves for a second. Though God has given us a task to do, He's given us something to do, He's given us a great commission, He's not just concerned with our performance of that great commission. He's not some celestial CEO up there with a um, tally sheet and performance objectives. No, He is our Father. And as such, He is concerned not only with what we're doing, but who we're becoming. He wants us to be more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we all know Romans 8.28. We love that verse because it tells us why the bad things happen to us, right? Do you know verse 29 with it? Let me read them both together. And we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now listen to this. For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. God is going to do whatever it takes to grow you up into maturity. Isn't that great? You know, I spent a lot of time in South Africa. There were a lot of diamonds there, uh, supposedly. I looked in my backyard, never found any of them. But I'm told that a diamond in the rough is not worth a whole, whole lot. For this diamond to become a thing of beauty, for this diamond to realize its potential and its value, some things are going to have to happen to it. There's going to be people taking chisels to it. There's going to be grindstones going on this diamond in the rough. And in the end, it's going to be a thing of beauty. It's going to be a thing of refinement. And I think, wow, boy, if that diamond had feelings, what would it be saying during this process? And so it is with us. The refinement process, it's not easy. God is going to do a hurting if that's what's necessary because He loves you that much. So God knew exactly what it would take to keep Paul both useful and humble. See, the reality of it was, was if he was going to be useful, he had to be humble. And he lovingly permitted Satan to use that thorn in the flesh, all to keep him away from pride. Augustine said, What a deadful poisonous pride so that the only antidote to it is another person. Or, excuse me, another poison. Maybe another person too, I don't know. Uh, It's important to remember, though, that, that God does keep Satan on a very short leash. And for believers, He just gives him enough slack in the chain so that he can do the pruning that God wants to do with us. I don't know what your thorns are in your flesh. What are they? Those thorns are not just to hinder you, but to make you more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, too often we focus on what we're going through instead of what we're going to be. Too often we focus on the thorns' pain instead of its purpose. So, what's your thorn in the flesh? 
What's that thing that you feel is keeping you from the best service to God that you could do? What is keeping you from doing your best part in the Great, uh, great Commission? In other words, what are your thorns? Your thorns might be very intense. Uh, you know, I, I like the word, your translation translates a messenger of Satan to torment. I like the word buffet. If you've got a King James or a New King James translation out there, I think that's a very depictive term for us. Uh, both terms will work, but like I said, I like that word buffet. B-U-F-F-E-T. Maybe a new convert, when they're first reading that passage, maybe having experienced just being almost eaten alive by the devil who seeks whom he may devour, may want to translate that word buffet. But, no, the word is buffet. A messenger of Satan to buffet. Now, what does it mean to buffet things? It means to beat it around. It means to pound it continually. And buffeting means that you're going to take your lumps and it's going to be hard on your pride. Have you ever had a black eye? It's humiliating. Even if you weren't in a fight, nobody's going to believe you. That's not the worst part. They're going to think that you were in a fight and that you lost. There is no joy in being buffeted. There is no pride in being buffeted. And yet God knew exactly what it would take to keep Paul humble. Because when he was humble, he was useful. <coughs> is it any wonder that this man began his ministry claiming to be the least of the apostles. And yet he ended his ministry by calling himself the chief of sinners. Let's get back to you. What is your thorn in the flesh? Something that you feel like, thank you very much, Lord. I could have gotten along just quite well without this. Something that you feel that if it was just gone, you would be of such greater service to God. If He had just corrected it, if He had just deal with it, if it, He would just take it away, it might be some sort of a physical limitation. It might be a reoccurring attitude or a habit. Or it might even be some person in your life that is your thorn in the flesh. You think it limits you. But God has it there for a purpose. As a sidebar, you know, these thorns in our flesh, these things that we can't correct, sometimes God can use them to guide us uh, in particular directions. Well, what am I talking about here? In my 20s, I had a good friend. We did everything together. We would go out to the rifle range together. Uh, we would go. We, we, we would do... All things. We do martial arts together, and we were greatest of buddies. Now, by that time, I was working pretty hard. I was teaching, but he had trouble keeping a job. In the end, he went into the military. He went into OCS, Officer's Candidate School, something that I would have given my eye teeth to have done, something that I'd talked to recruiters about. And they said, you, you really ought to do this. And I would have done it, except I had a medical problem in my background that I wouldn't lie about. 
And that kept me from doing the very thing that I wanted to do. That kept me from doing the very thing that my friend was chosen to do. By the way, he retired a lieutenant colonel in military intelligence. So, it was a great thing for him. God had a plan for him in that way. But if God had let me go that direction, I wouldn't be standing before you here this morning. God can use our thorns in the flesh, our limitations, to guide us, direct us, to push us in the way that we need to go. And so, we've got to understand that these thorns in the flesh are given to us by God to make us grow up into who God wants us to be and to go in the direction that He wants us to go. Now, Paul understood that. And yet, verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. It's a comfort to me, brothers and sisters, just to see here how much trouble that thorn in the flesh was to the Apostle Paul, that he would pray not once, but three times to have it taken away, each time recognizing that God knows best. We also see how much that thorn was needed in the Apostle Paul's life. That um, his loving father, being ever so severe in his mercy, would not remove it. Now, we learned as kids, those of us that were around church as much at all, that God always answers the prayers of His children, right? He answers them one of three ways. Yes, no, or maybe, or wait. We've always heard that. Now, we rejoice in the yes answers. Those are the answers that when it comes Wednesday night prayer time, when we have that sort of thing, and we ask for praise items. That's, that's all the yes answers, isn't it? But what about the no answers? What about the wait answers? Aren't they praiseworthy too? They sure don't feel like it. But they come from the hand of the same all-loving Father that knows you inside out and is wanting the best for you and making you into the image of His Son. Paul was denied. Nope, my grace is sufficient. Well, let's go into that. But he said to me in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And here is the beauty of being weak with our thorn that the world just cannot understand. God changes our liabilities into assets. Well, the world's view of strength is brute power and honed ability. You know, there was, there was a time that I had to preach at a little church way down south. I didn't know exactly where the church was. We didn't live far from it at that point. Um, but it was so far back in the country, they had to pipe in the sunshine. And I knew that if I did not go out on Saturday to try to find this church... I would be in trouble because I'd get lost on Sunday morning and, and it'd be mid-afternoon before I arrived there. So on Saturday, I went to find this church and sure enough, I got lost. Stopped at this uh, 
this barn where an old farmer was. And, and he looked apart. I mean, he had the caterpillar cap on, and he had on the uh, flannel shirt and the overalls and the brogan boots. Now, he was standing there giving me directions, you know, go to this red barn here and take a left and so on and so forth. Now, while he was doing that, this little bitty fellow came out that must have been the grandchild. And he looked like a uh, cookie-cutter copy of Grandpa. Uh, he had on the uh, brogan boots. He had on the flannel shirt, the overalls. He had on a little cap that says, if you can't run with the big dog, stay on the porch. I'm so glad that that's not true in God's economy. I'm so glad that God doesn't use spiritual German shepherds and St. Bernard's, but he's got use for us Pomeranians and sausage dogs. The world just can't understand that. We can make three observations here about verse 9, maybe more. We're just going to make three. Um, God's grace is always sufficient. God never gives us a job to do without giving us the ability to accomplish what He wants. Now note what I didn't say. Did I say what we want? No, I said what God wants. You know, we're told in the Scripture, man makes the plans, but God directs the steps. You may have a wonderful idea. You set out to do it. As, you, as you're putting it into place, things morph, things doors close, others open. And this plan that you were responsible to make, God changed it around to accomplish exactly what He wanted from the very beginning. That Maybe He didn't tell you about, first off. Um, God's grace is always sufficient, and He never gives us a job to do that we can't do according to the way that He wants us to. And when, when that happens, who gets the glory? God does, because we couldn't do that. Look at the times that Israel goes out in the Old Testament with a handful of men and defeats adversaries. Who gets the glory when the impossible, when the impossible happens? God does. And we know what man's chief is, uh, chief end is, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Second observation here is that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And that's something that seems logically impossible, and yet we're taught it from Scripture. It's a theme throughout Ecclesiastes 9.11. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Proverbs 33, verse 16. A mighty man is not delivered by his great strength. Flip on over there to the 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes, and he says... But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong so that no one could boast before Him. Our third observation here is that, and this is a hard one, brothers and sisters, we are to glory or rejoice in our thorns and our infirmities and our weaknesses so that God's power will be manifested or revealed or made real in us. You know, it's so easy to rejoice in God's miracles, but how about rejoicing in our problems? I don't like it. Do you? And yet James tells us, consider it Pure joy. He backs up what the Apostle says here, what the Apostle Paul says. Consider it 
pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of various kinds. And think about it with me for just a moment. What better witness do we have than when things are falling apart around us, when things are falling apart within us, that we can say, yeah, I know, this hurts like all get out. But guess what? God is in control and He still loves me. That's a hope that the world just doesn't have. That's a hope that you can hold forth when you're going through trials. And there's something about offering hope during our trials that's just not the same when everything's honky-dory, isn't it? Okay, let's, let's, uh, before we get on overtime here, let's close up. Uh, in summary, Christian, you've been given quite a job to do. You've been handed the paintbrush. You've been told to paint. You've been given the Great Commission. Your job is to do in your own way evangelism. Your job is to build the church. Your job is to use your gifts, your abilities that God has given you specifically for the sake of your brothers and sisters out here. How competent do you feel for the task? given the fact that you also have some pretty severe God-given limitations. You have thorns in the flesh. How do you react to those feelings, those thoughts of inadequacy for the job that God has given you? How do you emotionally cope with your personal thorn or thorns in the flesh? That very thing that you're convinced that if God would just take it away, that you'd be a better servant for Him. Do these things depress you? Do they paralyze you with fear? Do they make you angry? Do they cause you to feel sorry for yourself? These limitations. You know, you think that thing keeps you from service to God. In reality, it's one of the very things that keeps you up and running for service to God and who and causes you to become more and more the person that you're supposed to be. It's not so much what you know and what you can do in the Christian life, it's who do you depend on. And our thorns make us realize our dependence on God. So, you got thorns in the flesh? <coughs> Take heart. <laughs> the Lord Jesus didn't come to help the healthy, but he came to help the sick. And what's more, you got thorns in the flesh, you're really not in bad company. Um, it's only when we realize how little and how limited we are that God can show us how big he is through us. It's very important that we stay green, and God's going to keep us that way if we follow him. Because if you think you're green, you'll grow. But if you think you're right, you'll rot. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now, and Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we realize that we have all sorts of limitations. Lord, you could take them away. You could, you could make us superstars of the faith. But Lord, we believe that you're doing more than that. So Lord, I pray for each person here this morning. I ask, Lord, that you would be working in their lives. Lord, you know their struggles, you know their trials, you know their thorns. And Lord, use all these things to make them more into the image of your blessed Son. Lord, we thank you for this time in Christ's name. Amen.